One of the things I think it's really important to understand is that the testimony you heard from Ms. Shannon about the student who used to come here and the testimony you heard from Brandon are tied to the same thing. Are they tied to giving faithfully to God? Yes. But what they're really tied to is a reality shift. And you hear, you, you by now, if you've been at church, this church for more than a year, every one of you in these seats knows what God can do. Every one of you sitting in these seats knows you've heard enough testimonies, you've heard enough stories of what God can do for this person and that person. But how many of us really know God? And how many of us really know the heart of God? God doesn't just do these things because, you know, uh, we ask Him to do it and it, it's, it's His heart to give. And the people who you hear who have these great testimonies, it's because not that they've set themselves to receive all these gifts from God, that's just a byproduct. It's because they've set themselves to know God. And that's how it happens, by knowing Him. Sometimes we get caught up and, and you hear these great testimonies and they're, they're important and they're great and I'm glad that they're shared. But never, never miss the point. In these chairs, never miss the point. It's not that, oh, I'm going to seek God so he can do something for me. No, I'm going to seek God because there's no other option on the face of this planet other than to know him. There's nothing better than to know him. And the time for the church and the time for your generation and the time for my generation is to rise up right now and to put aside the things that we have often enjoyed and often been distracted by and begin to seek God for who he is. You know what God can do, but do you know who he is? And do you know his heart? I've shared a lot of testimonies with you, and I always caution myself and remind myself, let me not communicate just what God can do. Let me communicate who God is. Because God does what he does because of his great love for you. He does what he does because of his great love for us. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a shift in reality. You've heard of virtual reality, right? Virtual reality is where you alter your senses to enter a different dimension, like a third dimension, this, this altered reality. That's virtual reality. This morning, I want to begin to teach you about spiritual reality. And spiritual reality is where you alter your reality to experience the God dimension, to experience the spiritual dimension. What does that mean, Mr. Kurt? That means that the spiritual becomes more real to you than the physical. Take Brandon's testimony, for example, or take Miss Shannon's testimony. He, he refused to be moved by everything in this physical world. And he was only moved by what the Spirit and what the Word said. Even in the midst of the last hour. I was going to call you last night and be like, it's the 11th hour, and you need to keep trusting God. It's the 11th hour. And I knew, because you had talked to me before, and I knew. God loves to show up, and He loves to provide, and He loves to take care. But we have to enter into spiritual reality. Too many of us are distracted by this physical reality. We think this is it. We think this is the reality. But the truth is, there's something far greater out there. Everything you see in this physical world has been birthed and created by the spiritual. And God wants our generation to go deeper into the spirit than we've been before. You've heard of words like awakening and revival. God is trying to revive our hearts. God is trying to awaken us to realize, listen, there is so much more to me than even you understand. I'm not just the God who does, I am the God who is. And I want to be there with you right now. I want to become your reality. Many of us live our lives right now, many of us, myself included, we live our lives like this. We go to school and we learn about life. 
We go home and we learn about life and we learn about what's true. We come to church and we learn about spiritual things. We learn about spiritual things. I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to learn about the spiritual things. But I, go, I know I go to school to learn about reality. God wants you to begin to change your thinking. You don't come to church just to learn about spiritual things. You come to church to learn about the truth. You come to church to learn about reality as God intended it to be. And we need to have a reality shift. Because many of us are stuck in our physical world. We're consumed with getting the next thing, with doing the next thing, with having the next thing. And we're missing God altogether. Open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians. Time is short. The first century church lived with an expectation that Jesus could come back tonight. Not tomorrow, tonight. And many of us in, in, in our culture, we're dilly-dallying. We're just having fun. We play church. I was listening to one of the Christian radio stations this week, and they were talking uh, to a friend who's a missionary in Africa and lives in Africa. Actually, I'm sorry. They live in Africa. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 3. I'll let you turn there. Philippians chapter 3. When you get there, just say, I got it. Okay, put your finger there and look up at me. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. The, the Christian radio station said there was a person who lived in Africa and they came to be a missionary in America. Yeah, they came to be a missionary. Their mission field was America. And they're like, um, we're the ones that send missionaries to Africa. And they began to talk to this person and they said, listen, what you don't realize is that it is, we, we pray for you daily in Africa. Now, this is just one church. We pray for you daily in America because we don't understand how you live your life connected to God with all the distractions that you face. So they had come to evangelize America. Isn't that amazing? What does that tell you about the spiritual reality of, of the United States of America right now? You've heard and you've been taught in your homes and in this church that this church was founded on the basic principles of the Word of God. And that is true. That is true, but are we there today? Are we where our founding fathers were? Are we committed? I'm going to tell you the real truth here. The spiritual state of the United States of America is atheistic, is not Christian. And that is the spiritual state that is over America right now. And God wants to change that, but he's not going to begin with the people in the world. You know who he's going to begin with? The people in his church, because we need an awakening. We need to be revived. We need to have our hearts tugged and pulled by him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Now, Paul is writing here, and he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, for we are the circumcision. We worship God in the Spirit. Everyone say the Spirit. Spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence, I more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all these things, and count them as rubbish, King James says dung, like cow dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
I need to bring you into the state of Paul real quick because you're thinking, what does that really mean? Paul, something happened in Paul's life. In order for Paul to say, I count everything as trash, everything that I've gained, everything that I've built up in my life, Paul wasn't some evil person. You know that, right? Paul was a Pharisee. Up until the time of Christ and before that God had started this new way, Paul was part of the elite group that taught and preached the word. Paul is not a heathen. Paul is a Pharisee, a Hebrew teacher, okay? It is his job to live the law. He's not a bad guy. But Paul, something happened to Paul that caused him to change everything in his life. What happened to Paul? Paul had an encounter with God. And I'm convinced that every single one of us in this room, we need an encounter with God. Because I know what happened to me at 18 years old. At 8 years old, I was saved because I had encountered God. But from 12 to 18, I was living in sin, living on my own. And finally, God wrapped his arms around me again at 18 and revealed himself so plainly to me. And I've never been the same since, and I'll never be the same again. We don't just need one encounter with God. We need to encounter God daily. Now, I want to show you what happened to Paul. Go back to the book of Acts. I want to share this story with you real briefly. What, what, what happened in Paul's life that caused him to have such a conversion that he would say, everything that I have gained, I don't even care about anymore. Everything, every degree that I've earned, it doesn't mean anything to me. Acts chapter 26, please. What happens here is Paul, is, uh, he's appealed to Caesar. Paul's been taken captive. He's in prison, and he appeals to Caesar because Paul was a Roman. So he appealed to Caesar, and he goes through this long journey to get to the area where Caesar is in Rome. And so he, he goes to meet Caesar, and he appeals to Caesar, and Caesar doesn't know what to think. So one of Caesar's friends is coming by, the king. And so Paul is now beginning to tell the king how Paul's life was changed in verse 12. Verse 12 of chapter 26, if you're there, say, I got it. While I was occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief of priests. See, I told you he was a good guy. He had authority by the church of the day. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. All that means is you're fighting against what you know is right. That tells us that Jesus already recognized Paul knew what he was doing was wrong. Verse 15, so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness of both things which you have seen and of the things that I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you to the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I want you to look at your own life. As we read this story in this account of Paul, how many of you would say that this is a rhetorical question, which means I want you to think about it but not answer out loud? How many of you would say that you've had at least one encounter with God? How many of you would say that you have encountered God to the point where you're a Christian, not because your parents bring you to church, you come on Sunday and Wednesday, you read your Bible and you pray, but you're a Christian because you have met the living God and he has transformed your life from the inside out? That's a rhetorical question. 
Because that's, that's, that's the age that you're at right now. You are at the age where you're beginning to decide, this is either my faith or it's my parents' faith. This is either real for me or it's not. And the devil wants you. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Satan has asked for you by name, but I have prayed that you might endure. And you know what? I'm telling you the same thing. Satan wants you, and he has asked God for you. And that's what this age of adolescence is, a time where Satan is going after everything that you've known, everything that your parents have poured into you, everything that is true, and now he's getting you to question it all. Now he's getting you to ask if, if it's really true or not. And God is saying, stand strong and watch the salvation of the Lord. How many of us have met the living God? Sure, you may know what he can do. Sure, you may know that he makes the blind see. Sure, you may know that he gives gifts to those who love and serve him, but do you know the living God? Have you encountered him in a way that you would forsake everything for him? Let me make this a little more real to you. Everyone knows Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, right? All right, well, unfortunately, Steve Jobs passed away late last year. Now, let me ask you this question. Well, let me tell you a story. Paul's conversion is like this. Bill Gates comes to the conclusion, he has a revelation. He realized that everything he has spent his life working on is dung. It pales in comparison to the awesomeness of the Apple products. Matthew's still not looking. Mr. Matty is still not looking. I'm speaking your language and you're still not looking. Bill Gates has realized that everything that he has built up in Microsoft pales. It stinks when compared to Apple. He's had this revelation. <laughs> so he's had this revelation. And Bill Gates decides to sell Microsoft to some guy who doesn't really know anything and some guy can take it over. And he goes and he works for Steve Jobs and goes and works and becomes a spokesperson for Apple. Bill Gates, this, this is the conversion of Paul. This is what it would be like. Everyone in the world would just be like, huh? This guy spent, his nemesis is Apple, and he just gave up everything to go be a spokesperson for Apple? That is what happened with Paul. Paul, well, it is a good analogy, isn't it? Yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. That's a great analogy. I can't take credit for that. That's how I can get, it's awesome. But that's exactly what it's like. That's what happened to Paul. He had this amazing transformation. Now, what would it take for Bill Gates to have that transformation? I don't know. Maybe he owns a couple iPads and iPhones. This doesn't tell anybody, you know? Who knows? I don't know. Uh, maybe he's a secret Apple lover. But the truth is, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it happened with Paul. And God wants the same thing to happen to each and every one of us. At, at 11 and 12, you begin to ask your parents why. Why do we do this? Why do we believe this? Why do we say this? Why do we act this way? Why do we go to church? The question why begins to come up. And that's where you're living right now. And if you don't satisfy the why with God, then you're going to be lost. You're going to be lost. And God is looking for you to have a real relationship with him. We need to have our hearts awakened and we need to encounter the living God. And I'm asking you this morning, what is it going to take for you to encounter the living God? Is it going to take turning off the iPod, pulling the earphones out? I want you to follow me for a second because I can see things a little bit differently from you. I was talking to Zach on Friday. I have no problem with technology. Let me tell you something. Side trail, side note, rabbit trail. Hop with me for a couple seconds. The devil can't create anything. Did you know that? He has no power to create. The devil wasn't given authority to create, unlike you. You were given authority to create. But God has the power to create. The only thing the devil can do is pervert, which simply means twist. So God, I believe God always had envisioned in man to bring about technology. Think about it. 
If, if sin never came, God had probably always envisioned that, you know, we would be teaching Adam how to use an iPad or something. He, he, God, envisioned, <laughs> God envisioned this stuff. It's all from God. The Bible says everything good comes from God. The devil has no power to create. What he does have power to do is to pervert and to twist. So all the technology that we have, I'm not saying is evil, but hear what I'm about to say. The enemy has got us all isolated. Many of us live within our earphones, and the only one that's speaking to us is our music, ourselves, and the enemy. We have quieted our conscience so much that when our conscience tells us something's wrong, it's like it's punching up against a cement ceiling, and it's so quiet, and it can't hear anything. You can't hear your conscience. We have quieted it to the point. We have suppressed it to the point where we're having a hard time hearing and knowing and following what is right and what is wrong. Paul said, everything that I have gained, I'm counting as trash. I'm not telling you to go home and throw out your iPod. That's not what I'm telling you, because I wouldn't do that. I enjoy technology, but you know what? Paul says, all things may be permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things may be lawful for me, but you know what? I'm not going to be mastered by anything. What's mastering your life right now? Is it Facebook? Is it Twitter? Is it your iPhone, your iPod? Your, your, your whatever, whatever else is out there. What is mastering your life? What owns you? I had to come to that realization that there are things in this life. For me, it was money. We didn't have a lot of the gadgets. We had cell phones, and that was a big enough thing just to try to get a cell phone. It was one of the old ones with the antenna, and it flipped down, you know? That was a big enough thing just to get a cell phone. And we didn't have a lot of those. I, I can't believe how many distractions you're even facing this day. So for me, the thing that owned me was money, and God brought me to the place where I was able to surrender that. What owns you this morning? Because there's only room for one in your heart, and that's either God or the world. That's what Jesus said. You can't serve two masters. And so the challenge for you this morning is, as we look to encounter God, as we look for an awakening, God says, how much do you really want it? That's what that fast that we did was all about. How much do you really want me? God turned to his church in Israel and said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We can talk a good talk in church, but how much do we really want God? That comes down to our own life when nobody's watching and we're on the computer. It, come down, it comes down to our own life when we're riding the bus and we're either isolating ourselves or we're ministering to the Lord. How much do we really want this God that we claim to know and love? That's our challenge. Hmm. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. You're in Acts. Turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, please. Pastor John has been sharing these scriptures, and that's what really his, his God has really begun speaking to my heart. As you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, just when you get there, look up at me. I have been praying, as I always do, but I've been praying for you. I do. I, I have been for years. And I will continue long after you're gone and there are new kids here. But I've been praying for you. And I'm asking God, God, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for their hearts to be awakened? What did it take for my heart to be awakened? What does it still take for you to awaken my heart? And throughout the fast and throughout these past couple weeks, the thing that God keeps revealing to me is that really all it takes is a glimpse. And that's what I believe in my heart. If we're able to catch a glimpse of God, Paul caught a glimpse of Jesus. And it changed him for the rest of his life. 
and brought him to his death. Paul caught a glimpse of Christ. That's how much he believed in it. I don't want you to be afraid of dying for Jesus, but what I want you to see was that's how much Paul believed in this transformation, is that he lived it out until the day that he died. Do you know how much of the New Testament was written by Paul? Paul wrote more than half of the New Testament. There are 13 books that are attributed to Paul. There's not that many in the New Testament. 13 books are attributed to Paul. Paul had such an encounter with God that his life was dramatically changed and he was never the same again. And this is the prayer that Paul began to pray because Paul's life was changed. In the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, there also, there, therefore all, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I continue to pray. In other words, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention for you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him in the eyes of your understanding being enlightened or opened, that you may know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory? glory of his inheritance and the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power paul's prayer for the church is our prayer for everyone that the eyes of your understanding would be opened that you would know him for who he is and then paul says once you know him there's a power that comes in the spirit i want to bring you back to my original comment on virtual reality. How many of you have ever, did, I don't even know if they do virtual reality anymore because we are living in virtual reality, but has anyone ever experienced, you put the headset on, or I don't even know what it looks like. Anyone ever experienced virtual reality? Well, literally, like I said, virtual reality is where you alter your senses. You're altering what you see and what you experience to enter another dimension, but you're not actually there. It's fake. It's just, just, it's just altering your senses. But spiritual reality is a real shift that happens. It's the shift that happened to Paul. Paul's world came crashing down, and a new world began to rise up, and that's the spiritual world. The way that you and I live, we act like the physical world is more real than the spiritual. That physical body, that earth suit that you're sitting in, is going to die and decay and go back to the ground. The spirit inside of you will never die. The spirit inside of you does not sleep when your body rests. Because God is spirit. He created us to be spirit. And he neither, slumber nor, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. Your spirit will go on to eternity. Either to heaven or to hell. That's the Bible. That's what it says. That's what it says. Your spirit will always live. Either in eternal glory with God the Father or in eternal punishment. This, this physical reality is temporary. Imagine we're in the virtual reality right now. This is temporary. And one day we're going to take the headset off and we're going to see things for how they really are. God wants our hearts to be awakened. On Thursday night, Lily had a, a nightmare. And so I, I went up. She, she played this game where she went up and down the stairs for like three times. And finally I said, Lily, you have to sleep in your own bed. Let's put you back to bed. And she would not go in her bedroom. I was like, let me pray for you. And she did not let me pray for her. But she did not want to be in her bedroom. And in her bedroom, every time I brought her to her bedroom, she's like this, staring at the window, just like, 
just like staring at the window, and I'm like, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? So I'm thinking she probably had this nightmare or this dream, you know, that, that somebody or something, maybe the boogie monster came in through the window, I don't really know. But I just began to pray for her, and I said, Lily, do you want me to tell an angel to go and stand right by that window? She's like, no, that's okay. I'm like, Lily, I will tell one of God's angels to go stand by that window and that window and that window. And what I was doing was I was reminding myself the spiritual world is more real. I have authority, and I have a relationship with God that I can ask him because she's his child. I'm just a steward over her. She is his child. The Bible says that these children, you, you all have angels that watch over you. It's written in, in the Gospels. Jesus said it, that there's an angel. That's where they get the idea of a guardian angel. So I said, Lily said, no, I don't want to do that. But I said, I said, Father, I thank you right now that there's an angel standing by that window. Father, I thank you there's an angel right there. And Father, I thank you right here. You keep watch over your daughter right now. You keep watch over her by night. The angels are here keeping watch over her. I prayed with her. I sang to her. I put her down. She didn't wake up again. And what I was doing was I was reminding myself, just because I can't see it at the window, just because I can't see that angel at the window, does not mean that it's not there. Because God said it. And you know what? Just like the testimonies you've heard today, I'm teaching myself that the spiritual is more real than the physical. That is faith, as you mentioned earlier. The spiritual is more real than the physical. Two things I want you to hear this morning. Number one, you need an encounter with God. And we all need a Damascus experience. That, that, that story that Paul talked about on the road to Damascus. And I don't believe that a Damascus, Damascus experience is something that happens once. I think we need to have daily and weekly and monthly and annual Damascus experiences. If we are going through life and we're not encountering the living God, we are not walking in God's fullness for our life. Daily when you get before the Lord and pray, you should encounter God. You can get to the place where every time you close your eyes, every time you close your eyes, you meet God in the heavenlies. You can do it. You can get there. So that, that, no, you can't, Mr. Kurt. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. Because I have experienced it. Am I there right now? No. But I remember a time last year, every single time I got before the Lord and closed my eyes, I was caught right up in worship as I began to minister to the Lord. You can get there. You can get there. And that, that, what that does is build your faith so that the spiritual is more real than the physical. Last question for you that I want to leave you with. Haven't you ever wondered why you can encounter God on a Sunday or a Wednesday or a church event and then you go back into the world and it doesn't take but two weeks for you to go back living the way that you used to live? Haven't you ever wondered how that happens? How do we encounter God in church on Sunday and Wednesday? How do we encounter God in prayer at home, encounter God at a retreat or a trip, and all of a sudden it takes two weeks and we're stuck back in the world? Do you want to know why? I'm going to tell you why today. Because our physical is more real to us than the spiritual. And when the spiritual becomes more real than the physical, you, like Paul, will be completely transformed and you'll never be the same. Until we have encountered God, we will be wishy-washy people where one day we're on fire for God and the next day we'll spit in his face and curse him. Until we encounter him, that's where we'll be. I want to do something different this morning. I want you to come up here and I want to gather together in a circle and I want to pray for our generation. I want to pray for us, man. Let's pull on heaven right now and enter in and minister to the Lord and begin to ask God to move on our hearts. Start with us 
and then minister through us to our friends and to our family members. Come and let's just break a big circle here. We don't have to hold hands. I know people's palms get sweaty. Don't worry about that. We'll just come in close. Don't worry about that. But I, I really just, I, guys, I want to petition heaven. Listen, I, I'm a little bit older than you, and we have some people who are older than me. Look, when you get older, you don't have to be old, but when you get older, you start to see things differently than when you do when you're a teenager and when you're a child. And we are here to encourage you to not have to make the same mistakes and to seek God now. I want to petition heaven right now for each and every one of us to petition heaven right now for our generation that we would have an awakening, that our hearts would be awakened to who God is, that those of us who know God would go further, that those of us who don't yet know God and don't haven't encountered him and haven't experienced him would taste him today and catch just a little glimpse which would be enough to change your life forever, ever. I want you to do this with me. I want you to to the best of your ability, close your eyes, lift your hands, and pull on heaven. Pray with me. Listen, let's have a, let's, a burden for the people that you're watching in your schools, a burden for yourself that you would know God more. Let's pull on heaven right now. Father, we are so hungry and so desperate for you. We know that we, we can't do it on our own. We have not the ability to do it on our own. We need you, God. We need you. You must become more real to us than our reality. You must become more real than the life that we're living. You are so much more real. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but you will always be there. And my spirit will always be there, either with you or not. Father, I want to be with you not just in eternity, but right now. Right now, Father, I want to be with you, Lord. I want to know you. I want to be better acquainted with you than ever before in my life. I want to know you and who you are. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Lord, we're so hungry and thirsty and desperate for you. We need more of you. I need more of you in my life. I need more of you. I am desperate. I can't do this life without you. I can't do this life without you, but you're the strength in me. You are the strength in me. You're everything that I need. You're everything that I need, Father, and you're all that I want. I don't want things. I know you can do, I don't want you to do anything for me. I just want to love you, and I just want to be loved by you, Father. I'm not looking for anything from you than just to know you, just to walk in your truth, Father. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you, Father, for who you are. You're always there. You're always there. You've never left us. You've never forsaken us. You've always led us in the right way. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hear our hearts this morning. Hear our cry, Lord. Hear our cry. Father, we pray not just for ourselves. We pray for our generation. Father, awaken the hearts, enlighten their eyes of the understanding, Father. Awaken our hearts, revive our hearts again, O oh God, that we would be a generation that blesses you and serves you and knows you and walks with you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, thank you for our friends at school, Lord, that they will see something different in us and they will want to know what is that and how can I get it, Father? Lord, I pray you would give us a boldness to tell them when they ask us what's going on. Give us a boldness to tell them about you, how you've changed our lives on that Damascus experience, how we've never been the same again and we will never be the same, Father. Thank you, Father. 
Thank you, Lord. Right now, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You promised pour out your spirit on all flesh. Pour out your spirit right now, Father. We're, we're hungry and desperate for you to move in us and move through us, to minister to us and through us, Father, this morning. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Just open up your mouth right now and just get right with the Lord. Just surrender right now. Don't run. Don't run anymore. Don't run anymore. Surrender right now. Thank you, Lord. Become more real to us than this physical reality we're living in. Become more real to us, Father. Father, we can't go anywhere without you. We can't do anything without you. We're desperate for you. Life can't be lived without you. Not to the fullest. Touch our hearts, Father. Touch our hearts this morning. Move on us, Father. Move on our hearts, Lord God. Move on our hearts, Father. We're desperate for you right now. We just have to wait on you. We just have to wait on you to experience more of you, to encounter you this morning. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. baptized in the Holy Ghost. Lift your hands. God will fill you right now by the power of His Holy Spirit.